You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast. Rugby is back and so are we. The first round of the Pro 14 fixtures are complete and we've had it all. Amazing tries, late drama, controversial cards and even a new broadcaster. So we'll talk about all of that in this week's episode. No Dan Killick this week, so we've brought in an impact signing in the form of Stefan Thomas. Uh, Steph's a great journalist and rugby pundit. I'm sure you'll be familiar with, uh, with plenty of his work and it's great to be able to welcome him to the Attacking Scrum. Hi Steph. Hi, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Uh, great to have you on board. How are things? Yeah, yeah, not not so bad. Uh, been a busy weekend covering rugby, but uh, it's good to have uh, have the season um, underway. It is, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Uh, it feels like rugby's never been away. You know, you just kind of you slip straight back into that routine. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, obviously, there's a couple of pre-season games, but um, you know, it's, uh, it's the thorny one, really, isn't it? <laughs> the, great to be back. Um, back in the in the Pro 14 this weekend and um, plenty to talk about, I think. There is, and we'll be, uh, we'll be jumping into that uh, in just a moment. Before we get underway, quick uh, message from our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Um, yeah, it's been sponsoring us for, uh, for nearly a year now. Great, great small business based down in Swansea, uh, and you're able to get some great, great quality coffee at reasonable prices. So make sure you head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk and support local Welsh business and, uh, and get some brilliant coffee in the process. Right, part one of the show is fact or fiction. So we talk through five statements and we debate whether they are true or false. Um, so we're going to kick off with, uh, with a game I know you've covered this weekend, Steph. Uh, and the statement is this: New players, same old dragons. Fact or fiction? Fact. That sounds pretty conclusive. Yeah, just about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was at Rodney Parade on on Saturday night, and you know, I was writing my match report, and uh, I was reading over it, you know, at the end, and you know, I the intro was quite hard, you know, a horror start to the season, you know, Bernard Jackman under pressure, and I thought, oh, is it a bit is it a bit too harsh, you know, first game of the season? 
then I thought, no, it isn't, because, you know, I like Bernard, he's a top bloke, but last season, you know, it was all about next season, yeah. you know, we're basically almost throwing games for next season, and, you know, I, I could see where he was coming from, because he inherited a really poor squad, there was all the baggage with the names, are they Newport, mm. are they Gwent, all that sort of nonsense, um, so I, I sort of got that. And I know it's only round one, and I know that you know they've got a lot of new players, and they have to gel. But on paper, you know, at home, a Rodney Parade, they should have won that game. And I just think, you know, being at the game, I mean, it, it sounds like a tight game, doesn't it? You know, they yeah. got a losing bonus point, but they didn't deserve that. You know, they, they were they were blown away physically, and and if truth be told, Benetton were, were superior in every single aspect of play. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. I thought it was it was really woeful. And I think you're quite right because you look back at last season and I was one of those people saying, OK, this season is a bit of a gimme. As awful as some of that rugby was last year, you kind of went, like you said, it's, it wasn't his squad. Really, they had to be targeting this game almost like a, like a test match. You know, this was the first yeah. test. You had to go out and win it. And, um, and you know, even that, that fortuitous try to start with, they, they just never, never seemed to build from there. There was, there was barely a pass uh, strung together. Uh, the kicking game was poor. I felt like they turned away cheap penalties. You know, I, I mean, if if 40 yards isn't within Gavin Henson's range anymore, then then maybe we need another goal kicker in the side. Um, and you know, decisions that Rod, Rodri Williams, I thought actually probably was uh, was one of the the brighter players. His decision to tap. Um, when they had a penalty on the stroke of half time, you know, it, it was just a time they just needed to be cool heads in that and go, okay, let's get the three points because we need to win this game. You know, we weren't going to blood go go out there and blow um, Benetton out of the water because they're a they're a good tough side to beat now. And um, and you know, I, I absolutely agree they were superior in every single facet of the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we have to give Benetton credit. I mean, they if you look at their, some of the results they had last season, um, you know they. They're very well coached by Kieran Crowley. I know mm. that Conor O'Shea rates him very highly. And, and they are a, a decent outfit. But, you know, as you've said, you know, the first game of the season has got to be, be your cup final. I mean, if you look yeah. at Bristol on Friday night, um, you know, they treat it like a cup final, you know. They, they're playing at home. And the first thing the Dragons have to do this season, or have to do moving forward, is to turn Rodney Parade into a fortress. Mm. They've got to become a difficult team to beat. But at the moment, they're a very easy side to beat. And, you know, they can say what they want about, oh, it's the first game of the season. But I'm sorry, you know, they should be beating Benetton at home if they've got any aspirations of doing better this season. It's early days, but uh, that performance and the result was, it just wasn't good enough. In a way, I kind of felt the only ray of light was looking at Benetton and seeing how much they'd improved yeah. in 18 months. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Crowley has to take, you know, has to take a huge amount of credit for that. Um, and to be honest, uh, I, I agree. You know, we've we've had Bernard on this part. I really like him, but uh, he's yeah, lo- lovely guy, and, and has has time for everyone, which I really, really rate. But um, you know, you're right that the pressure is on now. It's it's just been intensified because it wasn't even like if it was a 21 points to 17 game and it was unlucky, and you know, you could look at a few yeah. refereeing calls. You know, that scoreline flattered the Dragons. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Well, um, we'll move on and, it, and we'll, we'll chat a little bit more about the Dragons later on in the show. But let's get to, to statement number two. George North is back to his best, fact or fiction? Fiction. 
because he has to prove it against the very best sides. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair point. I mean, obviously with these with these statements, they're always designed to be a to be a little bit leading. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're uh, I think you're right. You know, the, the big test will come later. But it's certainly encouraging, wasn't it? Oh, it was. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I, I covered the game Friday night. Obviously, it's the it's the first game of the season, and um, <coughs> you know both. Both sides were obviously very rusty. The first half was was dire. It's like watching paint dry. Not going to lie. Um, second half was was better. But I watched the you know if you look at the Ospreys, first twenty minutes they come out of the blocks like they like they had a rocket up their backside. Yeah. You know, they really wanted to make a statement. Um, and if they'd got a couple of early tries, I think they would have relaxed a bit and they would have run away with it. I thought Scott Williams was excellent. Mm. George North, I know Tipperick played well, but I don't know how North didn't get man of the match. But if you look, look at that game, they, they huffed and they puffed. Um, they applied a lot of pressure, but they didn't really create anything. Mm. If North wasn't playing, I'm not sure they would have won that game. Because Edinburgh are quite, quite, you know, they're a decent outfit, aren't they? You know, they, they had some big scalps last season, probably should have beaten Munster in, in the quarter final. But in terms of North, he. he Obviously, there's the negative is the fact he'd be away with Wales a lot. Mm. But he's the sort of player, he, he can be the difference in winning and losing. And he was on Friday night. But in terms of him being back to his best, I, I don't think he's, he's ever been, been poor. You know, he's mm. always been a good player. But in terms of him being back to his world-class best, you, know, you, you have to sort of judge him against the best team, not the... Not a rusty Edinburgh side. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I would agree with that myself. I think the... I think they're, they're, it was encouraging for the Ospreys in, in kind of two regards. I think, yeah, one, that the form of North is, is good and that will bode well for, for Wales. I think you're right that it does, although he will be missing with Wales uh, a fair bit. While he's there, you know, prior to the Autumn Internationals, if he can help build some momentum, that's going to be very, very important. In the same way that the Dragons didn't get off to a winning start, while it wasn't vintage stuff from the Ospreys, the win's the win. And I think that will that will help them so much going on to next week. You know, it's, it is just about getting that that win on the board. Um, so I think that's good. But I agree. Actually, it was it was very lateral stuff um, from the Ospreys. They were going. I feel like, I felt like they they looked to go wide very very early, and yeah. they weren't really committing um, committing the uh, the Edinburgh defenders, with the exception I think of of Scott Williams, who who did do that and you know created like. That, those kind of classic Scott Williams busts through the middle, where he's just that bit too strong for people. Um, but I, but I do think the win, the win will do them a, a world of good. And, I'd agree with that, but I think. <coughs> so excuse me, got a bit of a bad stroke. But um, yeah, I, I think it was a poor selection not to, to start with Sam Davis at ten. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he'd, I'm not saying that he, he should automatically have the jersey, but obviously you look at Luke Price. He, he didn't do anything wrong. You mm. know, he had a decent. You know opening half hour before he unfortunately left feel injured but as I, as you said they went wide very very early and if you look at Scarless for example they're, they're really good at creating overlaps they, yeah. don't, they know when to go wide I know they play with a lot of width but it's, there's more to it than them just flinging a ball wide but Sam Sam is very good at manipulating defences he's got weaknesses in his game but creativity isn't one of them and he, he brings that extra bit of um, vision that could have put North into more holes, could have put Scott Williams into more holes and I, I think they, they need to just start Sam at 10 and stick with him but I, I think the Ospreys have real issues as I've said after myself because I think it's a big mistake not to, to recruit a, yeah. an experienced 10 to, to back Sam up. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, in a way I found it a little bit worrying that they that they opted to to start with Luke Price. I know I know he's kind of impressed in um, over the summer and stuff, but in a way, you know, I think this is it. You know, Sam Davis has been has been talked up for a while. He's got a you know he's got a, a great record at um, you know age grade rugby when he was uh, he was young player of the year, and then also. You know he's, he has performed on occasions for the Ospreys, but I'm worried that the fact that he didn't start um, feels like felt like a bit of a um, a bit of a concerning sign for me. But you know he's they don't have a lot of options there really. You know with Price now injured and it looked like a it looked like a bad one. Um, Sam Davis is going to have to start, and you know other options there there aren't a great deal to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I mean obviously they've got James Hook who's very experienced, but you know, there's always that question mark. You know, is he is he a bit past his best? Yeah. Is he is he even a, a ten? I've always thought he was a, he was a centre myself. But yeah, I, I just think you know, you look you look at the there was no there's no need to go out and sign a big name ten or spending that much money on a ten. But I just feel they needed a, a player who's experienced, you know, who's played in the Viva yeah. Premiership, the Pro 14, somebody to come off the bench. Somebody who's not flash, just solid, can kick his goals, can put the team in the right areas, can tackle well, just a solid performer. And they they don't really have that, do they, James Sam? No, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you're right. The other options are, are James Hook, and then you're into then you're into the youngsters. You know, the kind of the Kai Evans type yeah. um, figures. So yeah, it'd be interesting. But if you know, if he can get some form, we we did a preview podcast um, earlier in the week, and I said that I think Sam Davis is the most important player for the Ospreys this season. 100%. And, and uh, yeah, it's because it, it does all hinge on ten. Right, let's uh, let's talk about the Scarlet Steph. Um, I know it's something that you like doing, but not not used not used to uh, not used to defeats uh, of late. Um, but the statement is this: despite the brave performance, Scarlet should have walked away from Ravenhill with a win. Fact or fiction? Fact. Because I think I mean obviously they had they had a lot of injuries with Jonathan Davis pulling out in the warm up. Those fifteen uh, you know regulars mm. missing. So perhaps before the game. Their fans might have taken a point, but on paper, they actually had a side that was man for man as good as others, if not slightly better in areas. And if you look at the way the game went, right? Obviously, this sounds a bit harsh, but I think the Scarlets lost the game rather than Ulster won yeah. the game. Because I think um, one thing Pivak has done really well, he's not just built a very good team, he's built a very good squad. And usually when the Scarlets lose a game, Piv, Piv, I wasn't at the game, obviously, I've only seen it on TV, but Pivak's always calm, even mm. if they've lost. He, he sounded really annoyed after the game yesterday. He was, he was really angry. And what really, you know, there was that period in, in the second half, they came out of the blocks firing, and they were quite, first half, I thought they were under the cosh a bit, mm. physically, but second half, the pack actually got on top. Um, Scarlets sometimes struggled to defend one-up runners coming at them. But they, they're very good at retaining possession and they created a lot of opportunities. I mean, obviously, Ken Owen was unlucky not to, not to score, but usually when the Scarlets are at their fluid best, they would, they would have scored three or four tries yeah. and that would have been that. But the one thing that really annoyed me, I mean, obviously, the, the discipline was, was very poor, but the game management from the half-backs that came on, yeah. because Dan Patchell was outstanding and I think they would have won if he'd stayed in the park. Yeah. But I think, I know that it really annoys me sometimes when sides, especially the Scarlets, you know, they were building pressure, 
they were, I think they were just a point up at that time. Say they say it was about 12 minutes to go. They were in the Ulster 20 through 22. And I know that they, their philosophy is to go for tries. And the reason they've won the Pro 12 and reached the European semi-final is because they take risks and because they, they chance their arm. And I wouldn't want them to go away from that. But Gareth Davis, been an experienced scrum half years, should have told Dan Jones, just get back in the pocket, think it over three points. So now we've got a four four-point gap because Elsa didn't really look like scoring a try and I thought the game management was really poor from Jones to 10 you know and Piv- Pivak said basically alluded to that after the game you know the, they're in the, the, the um, half I think they were just outside the 22 they they were you know they, they didn't look like scoring a try but they had possession there's about eight minutes to go all they needed to do was keep hold of the ball and Jones kicks it away you know it's, it was quite it's quite poor, really. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, actually, I think it's one of the areas of his game that I rate pretty highly. Obviously, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a, a relatively inexperienced outside yeah. half. Um, but I, I think, yeah. you know, he does have good management. He's kicking from hands very good. I think he's a good, well-rounded 10. But I absolutely agree with that. I find it really strange that sides don't take more drop goals. Because yeah, if, if Ulster had given away a penalty there in front of the sticks, they would have gone for three points. So why not when you weren't getting the breakthrough? And at one point, actually, Dan Jones was back in the pocket. Yeah. Um, and Gareth Davis uh, went to the blind side. Uh, moved further away from the post and they gave away a penalty. You know, it was, I agree, it, it came down to, to game management and, um, and you know, even with that, that side that is stricken with injuries, you know, you've got a whole first team out practically. The halfbacks who came off the bench are good enough to, you know, Gareth Davis is a, a seasoned international and Dan yeah, Jones is absolutely. a really good prospect. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely agree. That game was there for the taking. And I think the, it's right that the expectations are higher on Scarlets because they are, yeah. they are a much better side. Um, they, you know, they're a, a top European side and should be challenging for the league title. And I would have expected them to win that game, really, um, from the position they got in. Yeah, I agree. I think there were some positives, though. I mean, as I said, you'd be a lot more worried if they, you know, if they weren't creating anything. It was a sort of game they, they were creating chances, and the yeah. last pass wasn't going to hand. And it was their own errors that 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 caused them to, do, you know, to lose the game. I think Blair Thompson looks pretty special. Doesn't he does, he? doesn't he? Excellent. I thought Fonati played well. Um, I'd say we've already spoken about how good Patcher played and. Um, I thought Rob Evans was, was quite good as well. But, yeah, I mean, they, uh, they'd be disappointed and angry that they lost that game, I think. I think, the, uh, the, the, just to finish on the Scots, I think the other thing that might be encouraging is, again, we said, obviously, um, you know, losing Tygburn, losing Johnny uh, Barkley, they're, they're big losses, particularly at the breakdown um, and, yeah. and the kind of turnover ball that they can produce. I thought McLeod <laughs> played very well in that he regard. Did, yeah. And I think he's, he's a player who's going to step up for them this season. And that turnover from... Uh, from young Dan Davis off oh. the bench, um, you know, I think there's some encouraging signs there that whatever they are doing at, at a coaching level at the breakdown is uh, is working. And I think um, one point that probably needs to be made. I mean, obviously, Elster in the European pool, and you look at that game, and I, I don't, I don't really see Elster again that much better. Mm. You get what I mean? Whereas the Scarlet's ceiling is, is a lot higher. Yeah. So I, I would still make Scarlet's favourites to beat them twice in Europe. I mean, it's obviously on the day. And you, know, you go to Kingspan Stadium and the ref, you know, the crowd influences the refs and all that sort of thing. But I think Scarlet's are um, 
despite losing our better team than Ulster. That's why they'll be angry, because if you lose to a better team, you accept it. But they didn't lose to a better team yesterday. They, sorry, on Saturday. They, um, they lost to themselves, really, and that will really anger Pivak, as, as you could see in the, in, the, uh, you know, in the interview after the game. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. Right, let's, um, let's move on and, and another narrow loss to another Irish side for another one of the Welsh regions. Cardiff Blues. Despite the loss, Cardiff Blues look as though they have built on last season with new coach John Mulverhill. Fact or fiction? Well, it's fiction for now, isn't it? Because they lost. Um, I, don't, I don't want to be too harsh. First game of the season, obviously. And unlike the Dragons, there were a lot of positives. Yeah. So winning, isn't it, at the end of the day? But there was a lot of positives. And so far, in terms of, you know, obviously I, I go... As a journalist, I go to the regional press conferences weekly, and I really like John Mulvihill. I like um, I like his rugby philosophy. I like yeah. his attitude towards life in general, to be honest. Uh, but I think, having watched the game, you know, Leinster have a phenomenal squad in terms of the depth they've got. Uh, but let's not beat on the bush. It wasn't their strongest team, um, and and in the, given the position that the Blues are in. Um, you know, at one point it looked like they'd get a bonus point win. Um, given how that position, they they should really have closed the game out. I mean, huge credit to Leinster; they're they're still the team to beat in in the Pro 14 and the Champions Cup. But that wasn't the team that that won the Champions Cup. It was a weakened team, and I think on reflection, yes, there's there's plenty to be positive about. They'll get a lot lot better. Uh, but you know they they see that as a, as a disappointing defeat. I think. In a way, Steph, I would I would put it in a, a similar bracket to the Scarlets. While the you know the the standard isn't as high as it is at the Scarlets, I think Cardiff Blues have a really good team um, with some really good players in there. And you're absolutely right. You don't you don't get that many opportunities to you know if you get an opportunity to play Leinster with a weakened side and their weakened side is still a really good one you've got to put them away and especially yeah. when you're whatever it was 29 points to 12 up um, you know I thought they were I thought Ellis Jenkins did a great job at the breakdown as did Nick Williams I thought Jared Evans was tearing them apart at times um, but again little things can cost you the game now on half time um, with less than less than a minute on the clock uh, Lloyd Williams kicks the ball away and um, and I think the Leinster score a penalty, rotten, you know, on the stroke of half time. Then you you know, which which keeps them in the, in the game. Then having seemingly run away with it, there's other opportunities that the Blues have to take to take three points that they then put in the corner and don't score from. And I just think like you know, I I, I love running rugby more than anything, and that's what I want to watch. But at the same yeah. time, you're right, it is all about winning, and those those opportunities to take the three points and put it out of reach. Um, You've just got to do because you know that, that's their only game against Leinster this season, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's at home against a weakened side. And if you've got aspirations of being in the playoffs, they're the games you've got to win. And, and you go back to the point you made earlier about Rodri Williams and the Dragons game. I actually thought Rod, Rodri had a superb game against mm. uh, uh, Benetton. I mean, him and Aaron Wayne right, were the only two players that could hold their heads uh, heads held high. Yeah, I'd agree but with that. Just before half time, easy three points. Yeah. You know, was a gap, but uh, he tapped and went, and uh, I think Bevington knocked on. But um, I've got a question for you now, right? <laughs> Jared Evans yeah. was outstanding on Friday night. Patchell was outstanding on Saturday. Yeah. Big as a top player, nobody denied that. 
didn't have the best of games against Gloucester. Yeah. Right. I was watching the Scarlet's game and the Blues game, and you, you look at Patchell's try, and you look at the try that he created with a try that should have been that he created for Owens. Bigger wouldn't have done that. Agreed. Reese Patchell is a better option for Wales moving forward than Dan Bigger, fact or fiction. Oh, he's thrown in the surprise one. Um, fortunately, we've, we, we've spoken, we, we always speak about this every week, Steph, me and Dan, about, uh, about who should be outside half of Wales. And I just do think Reese Patchell is is moving into into that mould. Um, if I was picking a side to play, uh, you know, to play Australia or, or South Africa or someone like that tomorrow, Rhys Patch would be my outside half um, without a doubt. And I've liked, I've liked the way when I've seen him at full-back every, t- uh, every now and again as well, because um, I think he can offer a, a playmaking option there. I don't think Wales are interested in, in him as a full-back. Um, I just thought, yeah, the way he ran the game, he was, he was superb at 10. And, um, you know, I think, I think Bigger's, you know, Bigger is... Is still an outstanding player. He's Absolutely. A, he, he is that, you know, it's a, it's a cliche, but he's a test match animal, isn't he? He can yeah. deal with the intensity. But yeah. if Wales are serious about playing a, an, ex, you know, an expanded game, and, uh, you know, and they, they seem to be um, based on the summer tour, then, yeah, you know, I, I think Rhys Patchell has to start at 10. Yeah, I'd agree. I'm, I'm actually a big fan of Bigger. Uh, I'd always have him in the 23 because, mm. as you said, he's a test match animal. But I've opened a can of worms, you know, and I, I mean, um, <laughs> you, look, you look at Patchell and, and Jared, Jared Evans is, is obviously less experienced than Patchell. Patchell has, he's had some harsh lessons, isn't he, along the way to, to get to where he is. But I, I just think Patchell is showing a lot more maturity now than he did perhaps two or three years ago. He can boss games, uh, whereas he couldn't have in the past. His goal kicking is a lot better than what he was, but obviously that doesn't really matter if Halfpenny's playing. Um, and, and he just knows when to run, when to pass, when to kick, which is what he didn't didn't do in the past. And for me, uh, I think if Wales really want to make an impact in the World Cup, I think they need a ten who who plays to the game line, who who can break out from anywhere, um, who's got pace, who's got vision, and um, I think that man is Patcher. Oh uh, yeah, I would uh, I would very much uh, very much agree with that. Right, we've got one more to go on fact or fiction. Then we've got some uh, some fantastic questions coming from our, from our listeners and a quick roundup of the news, which will all be coming up very very shortly. Right then, last one for fact or fiction, Steph. Um, Based on weekend one, the move to Premier Sports is going to be a good one for fans. Fact or fiction? Um, I can't answer that because obviously <laughs> I watched the games there, but I wrote, but I'll go fact for now because when I watch the highlights, they, yeah. they seem quite decent. But there's probably better people to ask than myself on that one. All right. Well, I'll um, I'll, I'll take this one on. Um, I've actually I was I was pleasantly surprised to be fair. I was. Um, I said before, I'm, I'm a bit worried about it going behind going behind a paywall, and yeah. um, you know. But that said, it seems as though financially it's a it's a good deal for um, it's a good deal for the clubs, and it's been a bit of a mishmash league for a number of years. The Pro 14 or Pro 12 and Pro what was it? The Celtic League before that, um, and I think actually by having it all under one broadcaster now, it does give a sense of 
it being more cohesive, you know, whereas before, you know, you would have the Welsh regions on BBC Wales or S4C, you'd have, you know, Ulster would be playing on BBC Northern Ireland, you'd then have scattered around, you know, Italy didn't have any coverage. And actually, I think having it all under one roof gives the broadcaster a good opportunity to market it as a product. Um, and this, you know, obviously that... It all sounds a little bit cringeworthy, but actually those things are important. If you can put in front the good things about the Pro 14 in front of in front of people, and they're going to have to do that because they need sign-ups, they need people to pay the um, to pay the the monthly subscription in order to do it. And if you can showcase people what a, you know the, the good rugby that does happen in the Pro 14, then you know then I think that can only be a good thing uh, for the league. But as the as the coverage goes. I thought they did an admirable job, generally speaking. Um, you know, we're all going to have the commentators who we prefer over the others. Uh, Mark Robson has a habit of getting under my skin, particularly when he's covering uh, Ulster games. But um, but at the same time, actually, I thought I thought they did a they did a, a pretty good job. And um, and yeah, I think you know just having all of those games there available, easily on demand, not having to think, oh God, which channel is this on? Is it on S4C? Is it you know is is, is this one on BBC Northern Ireland? I think that's um, you know I think that's that's a a lot easier prospect and um, you know I, I'm not always the first to watch uh, you know to watch games that don't involve the Welsh regions but actually again having it all on there and having shelled out for it I think it'll just probably encourage me to uh, to watch a bit more when I get time Good stuff I'd agree with it. I think um, yeah it could, could get could get a bit confusing the last few years you know it was on Sky yes or CBC yeah. so yeah I think um, having it all in one you know on one channel probably does make it a lot easier and the thing is, you know, I understand, you know, a lot of people, you know, probably can't afford or have Sky BT and mm. Premier because there's a lot of hidden costs, isn't there? Because you've obviously got to, you know, install certain apps and stuff to, yeah. to get. But I think it is reasonably priced, isn't it, really? It's not it's not over the top. Um, and, and it's just the way it goes. I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, people are saying, you know, the Welsh regions are, are failed to... And the reason they fail in the main is because let's not look, you know, beat around the bushes because they haven't had the money to, mm. to sign quality players to get depth in their squads and get quality coaches. That's changing now. Um, obviously, not to the extent of the English and French clubs, but they are a lot, lot more competitive. And these people are complaining about Premier Sports and having to pay for rugby. It would be the same people who complain if they're the region they support loses their star players or, or can't sign players or get a weakened squad. So. You know, if if you want your team to be successful, then um, you're gonna have to pay. I'm afraid it's just it's just the the modern day sporting landscape. Yeah, I think it's a really really good point. Um, right, let's move on to uh, to some some questions that we've had from the listeners. Um, if you want to get involved with us throughout the season, you can do so on Twitter at Attacking Scrum. Uh, we've got a Facebook page as well, and we've also got a Facebook group which is called Wales Rugby Fans. So, however you choose to get in touch with us. Um, Make sure that you do. But we've had some crackers come through, and I'm glad you're here to help us uh, uh, get through this one, Steph. Um, we'll start with um, we'll start with this one from Jamie Phillips. Uh, if Dragons lose next weekend, Jackman should get the chop. God, um, that's yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um, mm. I think personally, I, I I don't think he he will get a chop. Yeah. Also, I think the Dragons will beat the Kings quite easily. I think the Kings are one of the worst pro sides. I've seen, um, so I think they'll manage to do that. Um, but I think, look, I got respect for Burnham because after every defeat, he comes out, he fronts up, and he's he's an honest man. Mm. And when when he was appointed, 
Um, obviously, he would have been aware that the Dragons were absolute rubbish because he admitted that, you know, they, they were rubbish. Um, you know, and the WIA would have known this isn't an easy fix. This is not, you know, you can't just sign like 15 quality players and expect results to just change because of that. Um, so I, I, I think the WIU or the Dragons board, whoever's in charge of recruiting and sacking and that sort of thing, I think they'll, they'll give him till at least Christmas. Um, but certainly, they should have been, they should have done better against Bennett and they're a better team on paper. Um, they, they've got to beat the Kings because, as I said, the Kings, they're, they're rubbish uh, and the, the, even the Dragons are far better on paper. So I think if they lose... I think Jackman will be under a lot of pressure. Um, I, I, I think that questions will definitely be asked. But when you talk about sacking people, mm. what you've got to ask yourself is, will this solve anything? That's the, and who could, I get, who could they get in Absolutely. this season? That's, that's the problem. Two, ga- two games into the season, you know, there's not going to be a huge amount of options of yeah, where to go. Exactly. So, yes... He's under pressure, and if results carry on, then they're going to have to make tough decisions. But, yeah, I, I just think it might create more problems if he was to get sacked. But, no, obviously, at the end of the season, it's different. But I, I think the, the Dragons will win next weekend. Yeah, well, I, um, I hope you're right, but it, it's, it's going to be hard-pressed to get any worse than, uh, than it was on Saturday, and hopefully that won't be the case. Uh, while we're talking about coaches, this one's coming from Liam Thomas. Uh, any idea who is on the shortlist for the new Scarlets coach? Uh, yeah, Graham Henry, Steve Hansen, Dave <laughs> Rennie, and Warren Gatland. A decent shortlist there that's been plucked no, up. Yeah. No, I'm only joking. Um, no, I haven't got a clue. Um, if you know, tell me. But, um, no, I... I I know that their their preference is to, to have a Welsh coach, yeah. But they're, they're also aware, you know, they're not stupid. They're aware that there aren't, you know, that many Welsh coaches, if any, who are good enough to coach a side who who have aspirations of winning the Champions Cup. Yeah. Scarlet boards are very ambitious at the moment. Wasn't the case in the past. They're ambitious at the moment, and they actually believe, rightly or wrongly, that within the next three years they have a good chance of winning the Champions Cup. They're going to invest in the squad and, and the coaching and etc. Um, so ideally, you know, they, they are a side with a brand, with a real Welsh brand, probably more than, than any of the other regions or even the national side. You know, the, there's all the, the Welsh language thing and, mm. you know, the Derby they won and all that, and, you know, Great Revelle. So obviously, ideally, they you know, they, they want the Welsh coach, but it's a professional sport. And apart from Stephen Jones, I, I don't really see a Welsh coach that's good enough to take him forward. I mean, Rob McBride is a name that's been mentioned. I mean, he's he's done his apprenticeship then with Wales, but all he knows is Warren Gatland. Yeah. I don't think he's going to fit into the Scarlet style of play. But I have been told that Wayne Pivak is going to be heavily involved in recruiting the coach uh, to the point of being one of the people who has the final say. And my money is on Wayne going to New Zealand. Um, you know, he, he's recruit, recruit, player recruitment has been phenomenal. It's one yeah. of the main reasons that they, they're, um, you know, you know, that they have done so well. Because Wayne's got so many contacts. And he's a very persuasive man as well. And, I, and a smart man. And I think he'll, he'll go to New Zealand. And I think he'll, um, 
he persuades a very respected coach that he knows to to take the the reins and um he he told me actually when he was unveiled as uh, as Wales coach that uh, he's going to leave the scarlets in safe hands uh, so you know given his player recruitment you're going to have to trust him I think yeah I think New Zealand and myself yeah I think that's uh, that's that's really interesting to know actually and um I think you're right it's you you would trust him given everything that he's that he's done during his time at the scarlets and uh, in a way it's it's a bit of a luxury to be able to do this you know you look kind of Cardiff Blues, you know, I, I think I hope I hope that they've they've stumbled across a you know a really good option in in John Mulvihill, but yeah. in a way they didn't have that that kind of luxury of having a a season to plan and a, and someone as canny as Pivac to to help them do that. So I think I think you're right. It, it should um, should leave Scarlets in in good hands. Right, a couple more actually. While we're talking about Pivac, these seem to have uh, led onto each other really really nicely. It's almost as if I'd planned this, which I hadn't. Uh, but we've had this one from uh, from our good pal Kai Griffiths, obviously ex. Uh, Osprey's player and um, head coach, director of rugby down at, at London Welsh. Uh, would Pivac be a success as Wales coach if Stephen Jones didn't join him? Oh, that's a cracking question. Then <laughs> I've been debating this all morning. Um, <laughs> I think I th- what Wayne himself has said on the record that Stephen Jones, has, when he came on board, it was a massive turning point. Because um, when Pivak became Scarlet's coach. They actually struggled initially. I mean, yeah. like Jackman, well, nowhere near as bad as that. But obviously, they even inherited your squad, didn't you? And, you know, obviously, he, Stephen coming on board has coincided with better players signing. So that, that has to be considered. But Jones has been huge for the Scarlet's because, you know, I was speaking to Nigel Davis recently and, you know, saying that, like, when Stephen was a player, he was still sort of coaching, you know, mm. not directly, officially, but. He's a sort of guy that uh, would um, try and devise tactics and he'd have a huge input into everything. So, tactically, Stephen Jones is um, is one of the main reasons that the Scarlets play the way they do. Um, he, you know, he understands uh, Welsh rugby. He knows it inside out. Um, all the players, like you speak, obviously, like, because of my job, I, I have the privilege of speaking to a lot of pro players and, you know, they, they I have never met a player that hasn't been raving about Stephen Jones as a coach. Uh, I remember reading about Elliot, Elliot Daly saying yeah. that he had a huge impact in his career, you know, and he's English, why, why would he lie about that? So, yeah, I think it would be a big risk in a way not to have Stephen Jones there. I, I think Jones will go with him rather than be Scarlet's coach. But, as I said, Wayne Pivak has a lot of contacts around the rugby world. And if Stephen doesn't get the job, you can bet your bottom dollar that he's going to go to the Southern Hemisphere and he's going to get somebody just as good. Maybe that guy won't have the same knowledge of Welsh rugby immediately as Stephen does, which, you know, we'd rather Stephen Jones from that perspective. But I think that the Wales attack coaching job is a very attractive job. And I think if Stephen doesn't go, then I think um, Pivak will get a top quality um, uh, alternative. So... I don't think he'd be a failure, but my choice would definitely be Stephen Jones. Yeah, likewise, and I think uh, I, I think he will end up there, and I think it, it really would work for Wales in it for a number of reasons. You know, I think the fact that he, you know, obviously he's a, he was a legend in a, in a Welsh shirt. He's impressed with the style of rugby at, um, at the Scarlets, which you know he's obviously as attack coach has been has been pivotal um, in part of that. And you know, I think one of the gripes from 
Welsh fans over the last few years was that this whole uh, this whole kind of overly direct rugby was a, a move away from I guess the traditional Welsh philosophy. So you know I think having Stephen Jones there in a way is a as, as well as being a fantastic coach, it's almost a, an easy short-term PR win for um, um, for Wayne Pivak. Uh, you know, I, I think it's. I think most Welsh fans would want to see Stephen Jones get that gig. Yeah, absolutely. He's, it's odd, really, because as a player, he, he came in for a lot of, as Angus said, disgusting abuse. Yeah. Like all Welsh tens have, really. Um, you know, there was all this thing, you know, Hook should be playing ten for wheels ahead of him, which is nonsense. Um, and, yeah, you know, so as a player, he actually had a lot of stick. But no, he seems to be flavour of the month. And uh, he's a lovely guy, Stephen. He's mm. a nice guy to come meet. And, you know, pe- people, um, the Welsh public, are, you know, the rugby public are almost desperate to have Stephen Jones there because he's obviously Welsh, he's a Welsh speaker. And, and on top of that, he's a great coach as well. And he has this um, scarlet attack in philosophy in his DNA. You know, a bit like a sort of Calvin James sort of thing. Mm. And he's he's a very forward-thinking coach as well. He thinks outside the box, likes to learn new things, likes to take stuff from different sports. So I, he, he'd be definitely be my choice. But if he chose to be Scarlett's head coach, assuming that they'd want him, um, which they probably would, um, then I think Pivak wouldn't have any problem getting, getting a top-quality New Zealander or Australian to come in. But I, I think, you know, if you've got... Respect, you know, if you got any money and you want to go down to bookmakers, then you're pretty safe to put money on Stephen Jones being we as a tackle. coach. I think that's almost certain to happen. I think. Yeah, I think you you might struggle you might struggle to get a, a request yeah. to bet on that one. It's a it's yeah, a it's a, it's a it's a fairly niche market. Who's going to be Wales' next attack coach? No, but uh, no, but yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Right, last question. This one's from uh, from Jeremy Thomas, uh, watching from afar in Australia. There seems to be similar problems with grassroots rugby uh, and compared to the, the Mitre 10 competition in New Zealand, uh, the, equivalents in other competition, the, other, the equivalent competitions in other countries are poor. What can be done to get the club game firing to benefit regions? Um, well, the, the regions and the WIU obviously think it's A teams, isn't it? Um, yeah. The, the general consensus among regional coaches this, this is nothing to do with finances either. Otherwise, they would have just stuck with, with the way it was because it obviously costs more money to have ASAs. But yeah. the general, the reason the change was, you know, it has come about is because a lot of players and a lot of coaches who have played at both levels, this is their feedback that it's far, it's, it's a huge gulf from regional rugby, sorry, from the Premiership to regional rugby, playing Pro 14 and obviously much bigger again to playing Champions Cup. Um, so they think that they need to um, have that sort of levelling between to bridge the gap. I mean, they tried to do with the British and Irish Cup, but that was a, just a waste of time because they were thrown together. They had about two training sessions and yeah. off they went. Now they're fully integrated into the regions or the pro sides. Um, so whether it works or not, I don't know. I mean, only time will tell. I mean, the Premiership clubs would say differently. They'd say that the Premiership has produced... The, like over 90% of the current Welsh side, um, which, you know, you can't really argue with that, with that, that, they, that most of them have played in the Premiership. But what the regions would say, what the commentators would say, is that they were regional players just loaned out to the Premiership clubs and they came through in spite of the Premiership. Yeah. And, obviously, and that's my opinion. I'm just trying to give both, both points of view. So it's a very difficult one. Um, but in terms of, you know, help, helping the sort of regional game, the professional game. I mean, 
they you can't say the premierships never really worked at all but it needed to be better and if uh, and, and obviously these ASIs they think is the answer or part of the solution to producing a better quality of play of the pro game and then for Wales so they're, they're, you know, they're hell-bent on going down this route the one thing we don't want to see is because of the reduction in funding in the Premiership is famous clubs like Neath constantly yeah. the sector going to the wall nobody wants to see that because we want a vibrant club game we want um, you know that to be to be really you know because that's the link with the grassroots rugby isn't it yeah. But obviously, at the same time, what I also think is, if the Premiership clubs haven't got a development, uh, haven't got a commitment to development, maybe they, they, that will become a better product, maybe rather than players filtering in and out. That's the counter argument. So I'm, you know, I'm not saying which way I'm going, but clearly the the clubs and the dub, sorry, the, the Premiership and the regions and the WIU have done their research and they think that the gap needs to be bridged. But um, Obviously, if you've read my articles on Wales Online recently, the, the, the Premiership clubs uh, uh, think that they're, they're talking a lot of nonsense. So, um, yeah, um, over the next few years, we, we'll, uh, we'll see how it works. But, um, yeah, uh, there's no, no quick fix, I don't think. No, I think you're absolutely right. So, some fantastic questions in there. Appreciate everyone, uh, everyone getting stuck into that. And, uh, yeah, let us know your opinions on, on any of the matters we discussed uh, on this podcast. And yeah, do that on Twitter at Attacking Scrum. You can do it on Facebook uh, as part of either our Facebook page or our Facebook group. And also, if you're, uh, if you're into Instagram, if that's your thing as well, we're even posting a bit more on there as well. Right, just to finish the show then, Steph, while we've got you on, um, quick roundup of um, the, I guess, the other comings and goings from, uh, from this week. Um, I suppose the, um, the other big news really is that um, national dual contracts seem to be set to be uh, set to be scrapped going forward. Uh, really, really keen to get your take on this. Yeah, well, I was actually in the interview with Martin Phillips when this was brought up. He was, a, um, he was reporting the rugby paper last week by Neil Fizzler, but I asked the question and um, he didn't didn't actually say that they were getting scrapped. Um, he said that they're considering it, but I have a lot of sources that say that. It's likely to happen. And I think dual contracts have obviously done a job. Um, I remember Wayne Pivak saying a few years back, if we didn't have dual contracts, then Jake Ball would have signed for Northampton, for example. Mm. So clearly, you know, at the time, it was a desperate situation between the regions and, and the WIU. We was at the end of the tail end of the, the civil war then with, with Roger Lewis uh, at the centre of it. And, you know, we're losing our best player swinging in France. And we needed to find a way to stop that and dual contracts have helped um, there's still the odd player going like Reese Webb and you know, you know there's still a few players in England but in the main the, that sort of um, exodus has stopped and the reason it was too well not central is because obviously there was a lack of trust at the time Yeah. but Martin Phillips made the point of saying if you've got Blind South Lanka playing for one of the clubs who's on a dual contract and he's an international player and he got an open South Lanka who's an international player with the same quality, you know, maybe at the same club and he's not on a dual contract. Why should the blind side have a better experience as a player in terms of getting looked after? Mm. Uh, didn't mention the word financially, but I assume he meant that. You know, it is a bit unbalanced. You know, why, why, you know, I, I can't work out for the life of me why Justin Tipperick is an undual contract, yeah. for example. 
Uh, and in the past, there have been certain players who I won't mention on dual contracts who should never be on them. So that's that's the issue. It's always going to be those um, those people who point and say, "Oh, you're fa- in terms of the players, you're favouring him over me." You know, they they won't say that publicly, but they it's, they wouldn't be human if they didn't didn't get those feelings. And you know, obviously, the the dual contract situation means that players are sort of limited to how much games they can play. Uh, but one thing I do know is that if do a contra score, it doesn't mean that that money disappears. Those, yeah. That money will just go to the regions and they can use it as they wish. And I know the cynics out there will say, oh, they're just saying over-the-hill foreign players. I mean, you know, it really annoys me when you get these idiots on social media saying, well, why are they saying foreign players? I mean, you know, come on, 21st century and all that. But, um, you know, there's obviously um, uh, non-West qualified quotas, you know, to... to Stop them yeah. spending all their money on foreign players. So this money will go into the regions and it'll strengthen them because there is going to be more money uh, in terms of the um, professional rugby agreement that's going to be announced within the next six weeks. And they're, they're, uh, my understanding is there's going to be a very good chance the dual contracts won't be a part of it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's really interesting situation. So obviously we'll be um, we'll be glad to any uh, any articles you're writing uh, as the future. Progresses with that situation as well, Steph. Uh, and then, yeah, just to, just to finish, I guess, with a, a quick preview into, into next week's games. We kind of, I guess, we've already touched on the, on the Dragons versus uh, the Kings, and you're predicting a, a Dragons win there. I'm going to cautiously go for a, a, a Labour Dragons win there, but uh, definitely needed. Um, the other South African side are, um, are in Wales as well, and uh, that's the Cheetahs. Uh, they play the Ospreys. Uh, what are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, Cheetahs obviously had a hiding on the weekend against Munster. Um, they, you know, they, they lost a lot of players last season. They brought in a lot of new players. Ospreys weren't great against Edinburgh. But they were still good enough to win and at home. I'm going to go for a bonus by Ospreys then. Yeah, I'm going to go for the same, actually. I think um, I think that just getting that win, you could almost sense the relief yeah. uh, the relief amongst the uh, the Ospreys camp there. And uh, I think that'll do, them, that'll do them the world of good. I mean... Again, if you look if you look back two years ago, the Scarlets had a torrid start to to that season, and it was almost when you know a lot of players were away with Wales, they had a few unconvincing victories, and and then you know the the way that they ended that season was just was just incredible. So I think you know it's it is about those building blocks and just getting getting the wins uh, in order to build confidence. And I think uh, I think the Chiefs could be there for the taking. Um, Next week, so I think the Ospreys will really be, really be targeting that one. Uh, first home game for Scarlets. They are at home to Leinster. Yeah, that's a big game for Scarlets, isn't it? Because obviously they they lost that game, which they shouldn't have lost against Ulster. We know Leinster's depth is ridiculously good. I don't know, how, you know, if they're going to be introducing any of their front line players. Scarlets have a lot of injuries. Uh, I think it'll be a few back. Half Ben is expected back. Samson, I think, is. 50-50. Um, I think Asquith might be quite close as well, so it might be a few back. Um, problem they got is Patra left the field injured. Yeah, and was, was, it, was, it NH- was it an HIA for Patra yeah, as yeah. well? So, so he might be fit. He might not. I, I don't think it was serious, but obviously, you know, he could miss the Leinster game. So it's going to be a tough game for the Scarlets, but they are at home. Um, they did show plenty of promise against Ulster, so I'll go for it. Losing bonus point for Leinster and now Scarlets win. If Pat, if Patrick were to miss out and um, and Dan Jones also, what would you expect to see at ten then? Ask with at ten maybe. 
Sam Hidalgo crying, I think. Really? That's it, yeah. That's, yeah, that might be the route they go down. I mean, Angus O'Brien's getting close to being fit as well, mind. Um, mm. So, I don't know whether, whether they'll give him a game uh, with the A team or Premiership team first. Um, but, yeah, um, there's the potential of Asquith at 10, but I think um, Hidalgo finds a good goal kick as well. Yeah. So, it might, might go down that route, but it would, would be a big blow, wouldn't it, to... Uh, lose your, your two tens. Um, yeah, God, yeah, absolutely. Uh, am I right in thinking that Blumacheese has played a bit of rugby at 10 as well? I think he has, yeah. yeah. So I don't know to, at what level. Mm. I don't know how, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I can play 10, but you know, they can jest about do it, but it doesn't mean they're effective at doing it. But yeah, I mean, I know Hidalgo Klein's quite comfortable at 10, so I think he, if, if the worst comes to the worst, I think he might slot in the 10. Interesting. Um, yeah, I have, I have a feeling it might be a little bit too tough, actually. I think Leinster might sneak this one. Um, but again, I think so much comes down to the to the side that they bring over. Um, and I just think that, that injury problem might might just be a bit too tough for Scarlets. But we will see. And then the final game uh, is Zebra versus Cardiff Blues uh, in Italy. Uh Angleville Cardiff Blues, I think. Um, I think they showed, I know they lost Lens, that was disappointing, but they did show a lot of promise in signs. And like Scarlett, they're going to be really angry at the fact they lost the game. And uh, yeah, I fancy them to just about get over the line, as long as they front up physically, of course. Yeah, I think that's that's a big one. But I think they're, um, I'm going to go for bonus point Blues win there as well, because I think that they've just seemed to, they, they when they click, um, their backs, I think, uh, you know, can can really cause trouble. So yeah, I think you're right. If they can, if they can, um, if they can win the battle up front, then uh, then I think yeah, they, they could be on for a for a bonus point win there. Um, but yeah, that brings us to the end for uh, for this week. Steph, it's been fantastic having you on. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll get you back on soon. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, pleasure to be on, and um, well, thanks for the invite. And uh, hopefully, I, um, you know, you can hear my my rantings um, uh, <laughs> in the near future. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, thank you very much indeed for listening as well. And um, yeah, if you've, uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, leave us, a, leave us a review on iTunes. I always say I'll give you a shout out if you do that. And there was one over, uh, over the last week or so that I'd forgotten to do. Um, so yeah, a couple of quick reviews. Um, <laughs> we've had one here from a guy called Legendary Ref, who's given us three stars, which, you know, is all right. Um, uh, yeah, you know, but you've got to, you got to read these things out anyway, haven't you? Um, so it's generally a good, a good podcast, but boy, do they love the blues, which is interesting because I've just predicted them to win uh, away with a bonus point there, but I'm quite obviously a, a one-eyed dragons fan. And then we've also had an amazing, uh, an, um, <laughs> a good review here from, um, someone with the amazing name of Mark Perigo cycling shorts, which, uh, that just, that, that takes some absolute beating. Um, and that's a five star review. It says great to hear some dedicated Welsh rugby chat. So yeah, if you have enjoyed this uh, this podcast, be sure to do that. Um, and yeah, we'll look forward to bringing you more rugby chat very very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.